Midnight in Karachi with Mavish Murad on tour.com. Fireboy by Sami Shah. Interlude C. There was a ring given by Allah to Hazrat Suleiman bin Daud, who was both a prophet and a king. It granted him dominion over man and over jinns and all that lay in between. Allah favored him with it because of the wisdom and devotion he had displayed in his years as ruler of the Jewish tribes. The sons and daughters of Adam greeted him as the best amongst them, and those of smokeless fire that we know as jinns served him loyally and faithfully, for the ring took control of their will. To the jinns, Hazrat Suleiman gave the task of constructing great monuments and houses of worship. For forty days and nights, he watched over their work, having learned never to fully trust the jinns. So immense was their laboring that when he died, they did not even know it, for he remained standing upon a great rock, his weight borne by a cane. For forty days the jinns below labored on his works, believing him still alive. Then did Allah send a host of termites and his cane was eaten through. When Hazrat Suleiman fell, the jinns were much chagrined by the deception. But they also rejoiced in their freedom. They left him there for his followers to bury, and none thought to return for his ring. None except one, and that was much later. In the earth, Hazrat Suleiman's flesh and muscle was eaten away, until the ring sat loosely on bone. Over two centuries later, a mouse carried it away for reasons known only to the mouse. It brought the ring to the surface and was promptly plucked off the ground by a falcon. The falcon's talent pierced the mouse's tiny heart and the ring fell from its mouth into a river below. Currents then carried it further and further away until it came to rest on the ocean bed where it sat for a thousand upon thousand years. The salt did not erode it nor did the continuous shifting of sand and silt over its surface dull its gleam. It shone in the darkness like the eye of a predatory fish. When it was finally dislodged by the belly of a shark raking over it, the currents caught it and it rose up and was swallowed by a fish, which was itself swallowed by a dolphin. The dolphin migrated with its pod to the Indian Ocean, never truly appreciating the value of what it carried in its belly. It was trapped in a fishing trawler's net, and dragged out of the water, dying a thrashing and pained death on the deck of the boat. When it died, it vomited the contents of its stomach, spewing a mess of fish scales, pink fluid, and a single ring onto the wooden floor. The captain on the boat was furious with his crew and ordered them to clean up the mess. It was one of the fishermen who found the ring, who wiped it on his sleeve and pocketed it before any of the others could see it. And so Hazrat Suleiman's ring, the very ring with which he had been granted dominion over all of Allah's creation was taken back to land. By the time the fisherman returned to his village the next week, he had forgotten entirely about the ring still buried deep within his pocket. His home was a few miles outside Karachi, one of about two dozen small confusions of thatch, mud and brick in his coastal village. His wife took the clothes from him and set to washing them while he played with his four children. As she cleaned his pants, scrubbing them with a thick bar of soap that had roughened her hands till they felt like dried pomfrey, the ring rolled out onto the floor with a metallic tinkle. She picked it up and held it to the light. Then she slipped it on her finger, smiling at the perfect fit. When, later that day, she asked him about the ring, 
He shrugged and told her he found it on the deck of the boat. Then noticing how it seemed to please her, he changed the story from a dolphin vomiting it out to a passing seagull dropping it from the sky. She asked if she could keep it, and he decided there would be no harm in that, as long as she was willing to get it valued the next time they went to the city. The next day, as she walked from their small home to the vegetable shop in a village nearby, the fisherman's wife was too busy sheltering her face from the whipping sand to notice the dogs. Had she looked to her sides, she would have seen a pack of mongrels, all of them little more than bones in thinning sacks, flanking her like soldiers. They marched in rhythm to her steps, padding along obediently, three on each side. Foam bubbled around their snouts, but they did not attack, simply followed with their red eyes fixed on her back. She did not see them, and by the time she neared the shops, they had dissipated. On the second day, however, she did notice a confluence of crows and gulls. They sat, wing to wing, on every surface around their house, silently watching her with eyes as black as beads. She did not have time to find their presence unnatural, choosing instead to fly into a rage over the vast quantities of shit they had deposited on her drying laundry. She ran at them with her arms flapping, and her children came out to see why she was making loud shooing noises. They applauded in delight when they saw how their roof and walls were furred with stubborn birds, and joined in, eventually managing to frighten them all into the sky. On the third day, nothing happened. That night, however, the fisherman rose from his bed to drink some water. He walked into the small open courtyard behind their room and drank from cupped hands filled by cool water lifted from a clay pot. When sated, he turned to see his wife standing and watching him. She was in the doorway, lit cold blue by the moonlight, even though she had been snoring impressively when he left her side. There was no sleep in her expression, nor any lethargy in her posture. She stood as upright and solid as the door next to her, eyes gleaming like coins. Then she turned and walked back into their room. He followed her in, then frowned in confusion upon finding her asleep on the bed, still snoring loudly. Choosing not to wake her, he too went to sleep. On the fourth night, they were both woken by the children. They claimed to have seen their father walk into their room, stand over them, then leave without answering their calls. When they had followed him, he walked into the bedroom where they now stood, asking why he was pretending to sleep. The fisherman and his wife sent them all back to bed, and he told her of the night before and how he had followed her into the room only to find her asleep as well. Though they were both Hindus, much like everyone else in their village, they too believed in the stories of jinns and prayed to Bhagwan for protection. For two full days and nights, nothing happened. The fisherman went to his work and his wife tended to the children. On the following night, she killed him. Or rather, he thought it was her. As she pushed the blade into his chest, he stared in her eyes. Only they hadn't been eyes at all, but twin flames flickering in her head. The creature that was not his wife then walked into the children's room and crushed the air from their throats one by one as they slept, leaving large burnt handprints around their necks. Finally, it went to the fisherman's wife herself, sleeping soundly in her bed next to her dead husband. The sheets between them were dark with his blood. More splashed across them, spilling from her throat as the knife sliced through skin. 
She died with a gurgle. She died with a gurgle. Red bubbles filling her mouth. Then the ring was taken from her finger.